0: to do two questions, and then that's all that we'll have up there just now. We're going to look at uh, the resurrection and our bodies. Uh, I'll ask the question, please, can you answer this first one? It's from the Catechism, question 37. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into glory, and their bodies being still united to Christ rest in their graves until the resurrection. Now, last week we looked at that, and that's on the um, website, uh, the sermon from that last week. This is the follow-up to that. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? At the resurrection, Christ will immediately raise up in glory all believers. He will openly acknowledge and acquit them in the judgment graciously rewarding them according to their works of faith, and they will enter into the full enjoyment of God for all eternity. Okay, we're going to do that. I, want, I, I'm, I actually need some volunteers, so Megan, Emma-Jane, and Callum, Sean, and Fiona, can you guys come up here just a minute? I need to, bo- to borrow you. And you can be extremely helpful. Okay, and I want you to stand here, that's it, excellent, don't look so frightened, there's no, okay, we're just, you guys are going to help just a little bit, because if I did it with this lot, they're also self-conscious, which means that they're just, uh, they wouldn't handle this, but you can handle it, you can cope with it, and you won't have nightmares. Okay, I want you in, Callum, can you tell me, Megan, one thing that you, if you look at Megan, that would describe her? tall. Megan is tall. Okay. Megan, can you say something about Emma Jane, please? Small. Okay. <laughs> All right. Emma Jane, you get to say something about Sean. Ginger. Ginger. Okay. Sean, you get to say something about Fiona. Weird. Weird. No. No. I, I, want you to de- I want you to describe how she looks. Maybe you don't think she looks. Hmm. Maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Hmm. If you had to, just, if someone, if we we're on the phone just now, and I'm saying we've got this lovely young lady standing here, and that is your sister, then how would you describe her? How, what she looks like? Mm. Quite tall. Quite tall. Callum, would you add anything to that? Um, yeah. Yeah. What would you say? <laughs> She's, annoying. She's annoying. No, you see, that's a character trait. <laughs> That's a character trait. Like, I could say, what would, what would anyone say about Callum's appearance? Okay? I don't want assassination here. I just want his appearance. Emma Jane? His hair curly. Curly. He said, no, not ugly. Your hair is curly. And Emma Jane's. Now, maybe you want to think about it. If you could change one thing about how you look, what would you like for your body to be, to have? Like me, I can tell you right now, mine is, I would just love to be a wee bit slimmer. I, I actually saw someone posted on a blog that um, David Meredith, who's a minister in Smithton, and myself were, by American standards, slim, which I thought was lovely. I'm moving to America. But I would like to be a bit slimmer. Megan, what would you like to be? Or do you think you're more or less perfect? You don't know. Emma-Jane? You'd like to have brown hair. Okay, we can arrange that. Sean, anything? You'd like to be a bit taller. We'll get platform shoes for you. Callum? You'd like straight ginger hair. You need to, (laughs) maybe you and Emma Jane can do a, can we arrange a swap here, guys? Fiona, have you got anything? No, you're just, you're basically just perfect anyway with your body. Some people really, really worry about their bodies, um, and I hope. Do you get up in the morning, look in the mirror, or do you just not bother? You just get up, go to school? You look in the, I know, you look in the mirror. Yeah, do you ever look in the mirror? No, don't blame you guys. Right, thank you. Go and have a seat, because we're going to talk about it. Thank you so much, all of you, because we are, I am going to ask you to think about your body and how, how important your body is. The Bible says that you're, each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made, and a lot of us have issues with our bodies. Some of us in, in this culture, we're kind of obsessed with how people look. And that is kind of strange. Because here's the deal. If you are not a Christian, if you are just basically a materialist, you don't believe there's any God, then what is your body? Without being crude, it's food for worms. That's it. Your body's there, you're there. At some point, you die, and that's it. In our culture, we pander our bodies, then we throw them away. But for the Christian, it really is very, very different, and we treat the body with respect. Now, if you've been watching any of the horrendous scenes from Haiti, uh, there are lots and lots of things that stick in your mind, but one of the things you wonder is, there are people who are sitting outside their crushed homes, waiting to be able to get the bodies out. They know their loved ones are dead, but waiting to get the bodies out so that they can give them a decent burial. Why? Why do people think like that? Some people say it's superstition. What does it matter? It's your body. But your body is really, really important. It's important while you're alive, but what we're going to look at just now is also it is important while you are uh, dead. It is our home. It is our tent. And what we're taught in the catechism here is biblical teaching about what happens to our bodies once we die, and particularly what happens at the resurrection, what's called the resurrection. That's when Jesus returns and the, the dead are raised. I was at a funeral in, I think, yeah, it was on the island of Lewis. We went to the uh, graveyard afterwards, and the custom there was that the minister didn't address, say anything at the graveside. But, In this particular instance, one of the elders just said, you know, this graveyard's going to be something else at the resurrection. And I I, I remember thinking, he really believes that. And it it made a big, big impact upon me. Now, the resurrection, the whole idea of resurrection, uh, for so many people, it's just laughable. A couple of you here were at a debate in the Usher Hall between John Lennox and Christopher Hitchens, and before that debate, uh, I was involved with talking with John Lennox about things, and um, we, we said, we just said, talk about the resurrection as if it were a fact, and watch how Christopher Hitchens reacts, because I pretty well guarantee that he will just immediately ridicule, and some of you have told you this before, but Lennox did that. He mentioned the resurrection. It was really the resurrection of Jesus he was talking about, but also ours. And John Humphreys, the chairman, said to Christopher Hitchens, okay, you've got five minutes to respond. And Hitchens stood up and said, I don't need five minutes to respond to someone who believes in the resurrection. In other words, it's so self-evidently ridiculous. It's like flat earth or the moon made a green cheese or something. Paul preaching In Athens, people listened to him until he mentioned the resurrection. It is one of the most extraordinary and fundamental and core beliefs of the Christian church, and we're going to try and explore a little bit of the wonder of that, and it's our great hope. We live in the hope of the resurrection. Hebrews 6 verse 2 says that resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment are elementary teachings about Christ. These are not deep. These are basic teachings that you have as a Christian. So, what happens at the resurrection? Well, it says Christ raises up in glory all believers, and it is speaking about our bodies. Let's go to two verses. In fact, I better use this Bible so I can… Job chapter 19, if you've got a Bible, um, I haven't put them up on the screen today, so you're going to have to use your Bibles. Job 19, verse 25… If you haven't got a Bible, there's some at the back there. It's on page 523. Now, this is an extraordinary statement. Job 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end He will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God, I myself will see Him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job says, I know my Redeemer lives. He doesn't know who his Redeemer is. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. My skin is going to be destroyed. My flesh is going to be destroyed. But in my flesh, I will see God. It is an extraordinary statement. Now, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you've got time this week, can I suggest that you read the whole of this chapter, <coughs> especially from verse 35, which talks about the resurrection body. I'm not going to read the whole of it just now, but in this part, First Corinthians 15 says, Jesus is raised from the dead. Because Jesus is raised from the dead, we will be raised from the dead, and this is what it will be like. Verse uh, 35 of 1 Corinthians 15, page 1156. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals of another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies in another is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Whatever else, and you can read the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, whatever else it means, it's saying we have a body in heaven. It's different from the body we have just now. Um, People like to ask questions. Uh, Callum wanted ginger hair. Um, Will he have ginger hair in heaven? You know, will Megan be tall? Will I be slim? You know, will all these different kinds of things... The, The Bible doesn't indicate that we can even ask those kinds of questions because I think that would show that we've not really grasped what is involved. Our body will be raised. It will be the same, but different. Now, what's the, the proof of all this? It states it very simply. Biblically, John 6, verse 44, for example, I'm just going to give you some verses that can help you with this. Jesus promised, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. In the Old Testament, the promise of resurrection is clearly in the New Testament. It's also in the Old Testament. Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, which is on page 708 of the Pew Bible, and verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will move, remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. God is going to destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. It's the sheet of death. It's the sheet that covers the body. We find that, as I say, many, many people find that so hard to believe. My, From a, an intellectual point of view, it's no problem. If you believe in the God of the Bible, an Almighty God, raising people from the dead is not a problem. When Jesus raised people from the dead, he was indicating that he is that Almighty God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 14 says, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Thomas Watson puts it beautifully. He says, God can more easily raise the body out of the grave than we can wake a man out of sleep. That's, I say, hugely, hugely significant and hugely, hugely important. In my flesh, I will see God. Now, is the promise of resurrection only for Christians? No. Um, Let me give you two verses. Acts 24 on page 1,122. Acts 24 verse 15, where Paul says, I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. And Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, page 1249, Revelation 20. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Hades is a kind of mythological place. The Greeks believed that you went to a kind of underworld. And um, what is being taught here is it doesn't matter whether your body's lost at sea. It doesn't matter whether you're in Hades, as the Greeks would have understood it. It's not really speaking about hell. Um, It's talking about just the place of the dead as, as they understood it. It's just simply saying, everyone will be raised from the dead. Each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the lake of fire, in the the book of life, rather, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that kind of changes the perspective a lot as well. I, I don't know how many funerals you've been to, but it's stomach cringing for me to go to a funeral Where the minister stands up, says the same thing about absolutely everybody, and says, Well, now they're at peace, now they're at rest. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But uh, even as a child, I remember thinking, I don't want to die and be raised and meet God. The resurrection of the dead for the Christian is a fantastic hope. The resurrection of the dead for the unbeliever is a dreadful prospect. They say that there are no atheists in foxholes. One thing is absolutely certain, there are no atheists in the afterlife. It's just, we will get a surprise, but can you imagine people who've gone through their whole life saying, oh, there is no God, there is no God, I don't believe in any of that, and then they're raised from the dead. I'll say a little bit more about that in a moment. What will our body be like when we are raised from the dead? Now, you have to be quite careful here, what that involves. I'm going to say one thing about that, for me, that's been very helpful at the end, but let's, let me just take some scriptures which may help. Acts chapter 6 and verse 15, where it says Stephen was dying, he was being stoned to death, and it says this, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I think that there will be a change in our appearance. There was a change in Christ's appearance when he was resurrected. And I think that there'll be a change in our appearance because our appearance does reflect what we are. You can see people who are worn and tired and exhausted, whose eyes are, I remember Emma Jane used to, I get migraines, used to say when she was a wee girl, oh, dad, your eyes are broke. I thought it was a great way to describe a migraine, your eyes are broke. There are people whose eyes are broken. There are people whose bodies are broken. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. There'll be no brokenness, no weariness in our heavenly bodies. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 20, page 1180 says this, Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. There's a transformation that is going to occur, an extraordinary transformation. Um, Again, we, we don't know the details, but we know that we shall be, in some sense, like Christ. The body sown is perishable, said Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15. It's raised imperishable, sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, and so on. Um, the reason I asked you guys, the young guys, to come up here is because your bodies are all just at maximum potential. But the rest of you is your bodies are all fading. And I don't, I'm sorry about that, guys. And I, I don't even mean the... You know the really old people, and I'm not allowed to mention them because Hugh gave me a row for uh, naming him with them this morning. So I can't do that because he said he was going to sue me for what was it, ageism? That was the thing. So Grandad Hugh is concerned about these things. But our our bodies our bodies fade. Do you know? No matter what, you you can be you can be a guy who's out pumping iron every morning. Your body fades. It fades. It, it just you know, you, you, you think you can go forever. Uh, believe it or not, looking at this body, you might say, what are you talking about? I, I used to, When I was at university, I used to run. I belonged to a club called the Hare and Hounds. And I used to love cross-country running. I generally thought, I, I actually thought I could run forever. Now I can hardly make it to the top of the stairs. That's neglect and so on. But you, the, the, that's what's going to happen with our bodies. And people are freaked out about that. They're terrified about that. But that's what it is to be human our bodies will fade. But here, we're promised... No, they won't. Here, they're sown in weakness, but they're raised in power. I think that is something that um, you, you, you want to say, bring it on. Luke 20 and verse 36, they no longer die, Jesus is talking about people who have died. They no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. Children of the resurrection. Thomas Watson describes heaven as a healthful climate. I love that. The idea is a healthful climate. There are people who, maybe right now it's cold here and they suffer from arthritis and things, and they, they head off to Australia or the south of France for the winter. Charles, the Baptist preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, used to spend two months in the uh, winter in the south of France for the sake of his body. Um, I think that's what every minister should be asked to do. No Heaven will be a place where there are no pollutants. There's nothing to destroy our body. Our bodies will be raised. Now, as I say, that is important. I just had this kind of, this ethereal idea of heaven as being, we're disembodied spirits. But that's not the Bible's teaching. The Bible's teaching is the body will be raised. Second thing, we're told in this, that we're openly acknowledged and acquitted. Now, what does that kind of mean? He will openly acknowledge and acquit them in the judgment. John 5, verse 22, in page 1069. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Isn't that a very interesting idea? Because most people think, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the Jesus of the New. And the Jesus of the new says, my father will judge no one, I'm doing the judging. Jesus will do the judging. Then in Revelation 20 and verse 12, which we read, but let me just stress it again. The books were opened. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the book. Now, here's the thing. There are people who are not Christians who look at what the Bible says about salvation being through Christ and so on, and they say that's very, very, very unfair, and, you know, God shouldn't judge us because of what we believe. And the answer is God will not judge you because of what you believe, and you're not even going to be judged because you don't believe in Jesus. You will be judged because of what you've done. And what you have done is sufficient to condemn you. And that's, again, as I say, very hard for people to take. The Christian has already experienced their judgment in that sense because Jesus took all our sin, Jesus took all our pain, Jesus took it all and did it on the cross. So there are two things that really happen on the day of judgment. There are two kinds of people. We are resurrected we our spirits are reunited with our bodies, and then Jesus the Judge says this to those who are not believers. He says, "I am Jesus whom you sinned against." Go to Matthew twenty five, page nine hundred and ninety five. Again, I'll not read the whole parable. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. But this is what he says to those who are not believers. Matthew 25:41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And Jesus is judging these people for what they have done. And Jesus is saying, I am Jesus who you sinned against. I am Jesus who you sinned against. When you watched your television screen and you saw those people suffering and you said, what can we do? When you ignored your neighbor, when you let that family dispute go on throughout your whole life, when you hated your friend, when you didn't look after your children, when you despised your wife, when you neglected all the gifts of grace that God had given to you, then you are sinning against me. When you refuse to come to me to have life that you may live, you added to that sin. And people who stand before Jesus in the next life, who haven't trusted Him in this life, will not be acquitted and will not be acknowledged by Christ so there's a fascinating passage where Jesus says that there are people who will come on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal the sick? Didn't we do all these wonderful things, preach and sing and worship and so on? And Jesus will look at them and say, go away from me. I never knew you. I never knew you. I had no idea who you are. I never knew you. And then in that sense, he's not professing ignorance about who they are. It's that he doesn't know them in the sense of a relationship with them. Now, the opposite of that is for Christ's own people. And here's the strange thing. It's not a kind of equal thing where you've got unbelievers are judged for what they've done. Believers Are acquitted not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Christ pleads for his own people. Christ welcomes his own people. Christ says, Come in to his own people. Christ says, I have purchased you. You are innocent. The tears are wiped away. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you hurt. Yes, you did far, far worse than you even saw in this life. And if you could see right now, if we could see right now the way that God sees us, we would collapse and die. And we will see. I think, I think we will see. And there'll be tears. Lord, I, look at my life. Look what I did. Look, look how I let you down. Look how I betrayed you. And Jesus will wipe the tears away. And he'll say, come you blessed. Because that's why I died. I knew that. I knew what you did. I knew what you would do. I, when I died on the cross... I took all of that. You are clean. You are pure. You are innocent. You are acknowledged. You are acquitted. Jesus will basically say, They are mine. I know them. It's like um, you go to a concert or something, and the band's playing, and you're trying to get in, and the bouncer's on the door saying, No, you can't get in. You can't get in. What are you doing? You're not getting in here. You haven't got a ticket. And then, I don't know, let's say it's uh, Oasis, and we'll go with the other Liam Gallagher. Uh, Liam Gallagher comes by, and he says, oh, yeah, I know him. That's Davey. That's my mate. Come on, Davy, and you come. It's great. That's the same kind of picture. The Christian, you don't, as a Christian, sit here right now and think, oh, do you know, I've been pretty sinful last week, and This next week, I'm going to make up for it by doing this good and this good and this good so that when I die and when I go to heaven, eventually, I will get in and I will be there. I I said this last week that I've been reading uh, Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ, which everyone regards as a spiritual classic and which has many, many good things in it. But overall, it really depresses me because it basically says to me, unless you're really, 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 really holy, you're not going to get to heaven. And it doesn't to me point enough to Christ. I'm not going to get to heaven by imitating Christ. I'm going to get to heaven by trusting Christ, by believing in Christ. And to be acknowledged and acquitted in that way is just fantastic. We're also rewarded. That's the, the third aspect. We're rewarded, uh, and we're rewarded. we are rewarded according to what we have done. God gives us a great privilege in this life. He saved us to be able to do good works. And then he rewards us for these good works that he himself has saved us for. That's that's just a great thing. He just helps us in that way. And, uh, I mean, I wish I had more time to say more about the rewards of heaven. But I guess the only thing to say about that is this. If you are a Christian, you work in this life for what will be rewarded in heaven everything else, forget. You work for what will be rewarded in heaven. And uh, that, I think the Bible indicates, Matthew 25, care for the poor and so on. What David was praying for, the, uh, the lost. Will we recognize one another in heaven? We saw that last week we will. Wouldn't it be fantastic to be in heaven and to have someone come up and say, I know you. You're the person who said that or who prayed for me, and that's one of the reasons that I'm here. There's great reward in that. And I do ask you simply, if you are a Christian, what are you working for in terms of your reward? People work really hard for promotion, and that's not wrong. They work really hard to get particular things, and that's not wrong. But we should be working in this life for what is in heaven. And it never stops. You never get there. You never completely relax. You never... I I know people who are working themselves into the ground in the hope that one day they will reach a point where they will no longer be stressed, where they will no longer be overworked, where they will no longer be tired. And then when they retire, they're too old to enjoy it. What I'm Suggesting to you is this, that the whole of our life is serving God, but also enjoying God, because that's what's said in um, that whole idea of entering into our reward and enjoying the presence of God. Psalm 16 verse 11 says that at God's right hand there are pleasures for evermore. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, it says this, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. It is not irreverent to speak in these terms. It is the way that the Bible speaks. Heaven will for the Christian be one incredible party. It really will. It will be one. It will be joy after joy after joy after joy. So I'm going to leave you with two thoughts before we praise God again and just thank Him for what He's done for us. I, this, is a, this is a kind of hard thing. But Shane once preached a sermon on how those in heaven would rejoice even over those who are lost. I don't believe that. I think he was wrong to say that. I don't think the Bible indicates that. I think that's part of the tears that are wiped away. But it's a burden almost too much to bear to, to look at any one of you and to think that you won't be in heaven. Christianity is not saying, oh, look, you're all going to heaven. you just got to recognize it. It doesn't say that. Christianity says, actually, we're all on the road to hell. And Christ came to save us from that. And you have a choice. You're going to be resurrected. But your choice in this life is what are you going to be resurrected to? Are you resurrected to stand before God in your own righteousness and face the condemnation and go to the place that wasn't created for you but was created for the devil? Is that what you want? If that's what you want, you carry on. You carry on the life you're living, you carry on ignoring Christ, you carry on living without him. But if you don't want that, then you you acknowledge Jesus Christ. You come to Jesus Christ. We said in the, the catechism there it talks about being acknowledged by Christ. The scripture says we acknowledge him in this life, he acknowledges us in the life to come. That applies to those of us who are Christians. We're tempted like Peter when we're accused of being Christians to back off, to make a joke about it, to put it down. No, no, let's acknowledge Christ. We belong to Jesus Christ. For those of us who are believers, there's a challenge here in terms of, in terms of our, our, our... Let me go back to the bodies. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Miracles. It's actually a fairly heavy book to work through philosophically. But right at the end he says this about the resurrection body, about our body, and I think this is wonderful. Let me read this to you. These small and perishable bodies we now have were given to us as ponies are given to schoolboys. We must learn to manage, not that we may someday be free of horses altogether, but that someday we may ride bareback, confident and rejoicing those greater mounts, those winged, shining, and world-shaking horses, which perhaps even now expect us with impatience, pawing and snorting in the king's stables. Not that the gallop would be of any value unless it were a gallop with the king, but how else, since he has retained his own charger, should we accompany him? Or to change the illustration a little bit, not quite so grand and dramatic, when you're a child, you've got a three-wheeler, bicycle, you learn to ride, and in a sense, what's being said about our bodies in heaven is we've got that kind of three-wheeler kids' bike, and we're moving on, going back to to the Harley Davidson, or whatever. It's back to this whole idea that these bodies that we have, they're not the ultimate; they're not the final destination. They are, when they are resurrected, it's not because they themselves are so valuable. They are, as Lewis puts it, the ponies, and we're going to ride wing chargers. Now, it, it, it's this, the limitations that we have in our bodies just now, the limitations of physical weakness, the limitations of disease and illness and, and concern about all the different harm that could come to us, all those limitations are gone in heaven. Could you imagine what it would be like to live in a world where every pleasure did not have a consequence which cost you. To live in a world where there was infinite variety, to live in a world where you could run and ride and swim, where you could uh, sing, where you could uh, laugh and so on, and your body was capable of, of doing all that and much, much more. I don't know what the resurrection body will be like, but I hope, I, I hope I've communicated a little bit of what it will be like in, in the sense of how much better it will be. I've mentioned my friend Duncan many, many times with muscular dystrophy in a wheelchair. Uh, I've never forgotten his anticipation of heaven for real. This body will be renewed. David, don't cry for me when I die because I'll be out the wheelchair. You say, that's all right for a a guy who's in a wheelchair with a terrible disease. But the bodies that you and I have got have got terrible diseases. And one day we'll be out the wheelchair. One day we shall run and not grow weary. It's a great, great hope for the Christian. Please meditate upon that. Think about it. Think about how this world causes us often to abuse our bodies. Treat your body with respect. Treat other people's bodies with respect. Learn to ride the pony so that you can be uh, ride the horse in heaven. But uh, rejoice that God has made you fearfully and wonderfully, but rejoice even more that you will one day escape the corruption in this world caused by sin. Let's pray. Lord, Help us to exalt in what you have done for us. If anyone here doesn't know you, Lord, may they not go from this place without calling upon you to forgive and to renew. And those of us who are tired and weary, those of us who live at a pace that you didn't intend for us, but we act like gods, we're so stupid. Lord, help us to see that our bodies will fade but you will renew them. Help us to care for our bodies and for other people's bodies. Help us, O Lord, to rejoice that you have redeemed us, body, mind, soul, and spirit. For we ask in your name. Amen.